Welcome to the Becoming Well podcast, the podcast that explores the intersection of faith and mental health. Welcome back to another episode of the Becoming Well podcast. Mary, it's so good to see you. It is awesome to see you, Miss Deb. I know. We need to have coffee like with us when we're in here because I feel like it's such a you know chatty vibe. I know it's warm. I'm gonna bring it next time. Please do, and bring some creamer because I like actually coffee with my creamer. Oh, okay. Okay. So you, like, <laughs> I, I'm kind of the same. Like I was over, yeah, I was visiting my sister not too long ago, and she made me coffee, and she's much younger than I am, so I think mm-hmm. she thinks the adult thing is like kind of black coffee, <laughs> right. like very little cream. And she's making my coffee, and she's pouring the cream, and I was like a little bit more, a little bit more, and she looks at me and she goes, "What happened to you?" <laughs> Well, it's been Who a rough year. I don't know. It's, it's rough. <laughs> so, yes, I will bring us some cream and maybe we'll have some coffee with it. There you go. Next time we're here. There you well, go. I'm excited for today's podcast. We have with us yes. Brian Dolan. Did I say that right, Brian? You did. Awesome. Oh, that's so great. Awesome. And you are kind of a Moody alum. You used to work here at Moody Radio, um, hosting and producing and co-hosting. And now you're in Cleveland doing the Cleveland Morning Show. Moved away to Ohio, but you're in rural area now. Which yeah, I, I work in uh, closer to Cleveland. But yeah, my family just bought like a five and a half acre little hobby farm. Yeah. 45 minutes east of Cleveland. A so. hobby farm. Nice. So it's like the, the side project is farming. Well, my, <laughs> right. that like a real thing? my wife would like that. And hobby farm is in, we don't do actual farm work. We have like a pasture and a barn. Do you have oh, animals? Okay. Do you have like goats? We have and... chickens right chickens. now. Okay. There's discussions of goats and hogs yeah. and things, yeah. but I'm urging us to take it slow. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Have you seen the, one of my favorite documentaries? I, list, I talk about this all the time is Biggest Little Farm. Have you seen that? No. That's not little people, big world, though. It is not. I totally totally was thinking that. Right? Very, very different subject matter. (laughs) I heard the word little, and I was like, well, maybe. That's also a great kind of documentary. No, this is on Hulu. Biggest Little Farm. You have, if you, I love it. It's not at all biblical, but it has all these like biblical undertones to it. So I use it all the time in my classes with my clients. Um, But, but you actually live, I don't, I live in the city. I mean, I live on the west side of Chicago. So I have no farming (laughs) whatsoever in my, world but you do well i grew up in the suburbs of minneapolis and then we when we were in chicago i lived on the south side of chicago Mm -hmm. uh and we had like the chicago shotgun like quarter of a quarter of an acre yeah you can reach out and touch the neighbor's house out the window right so it was a big big change yeah that that is see i'm i'm in the i don't know i don't know what you call it but where i live i go to bed at night and i listen to the tv show that my neighbors are (laughs) watching because that's how you're like wait we're playing that i know i'm like oh we're watching this episode of the office tonight. Okay. All right. I can quote this one. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So you were, you used to be a public school teacher. Is that right? Yes. In Minneapolis? I was in the Northern suburbs, a first ring suburb of Minneapolis and mm-hmm. taught six years uh, in a high school teaching social studies. Mm. And then it was doing radio part-time with my church. And then for it's a very long story, but long story short, ended up relocating to Chicago with my wife and three very small children at the time. Uh, and worked for Moody Radio, uh, WMBI at the time. Oh, wow. Now, big question. Yes. Bulls or Cavaliers? Um, You know, not a sports guy. So wherever I'm living, that's who I'm cheering for. Okay. Because technically, my, my, my team of origin would have to be like the Vikings and the Twins. Right. Well, and that, that would be a real problem, actually, because. I'd, I'd have to leave. Okay. Yeah, you might have to. I'm, yeah. a, okay. I'm a football. Yeah. We're, we're, well, we're I was going to ask gals. you. Yeah, because I was going to yeah. ask you. Are you? Do you know? The, are you a Gophers fan? For you know, because the Minnesota Golden Gophers—that's the big university. You know. Yeah, so. they're they're big time, and yeah. um, I 
I like to tell people instead of watching sports, I read my Bible, but <laughs> that's not oh, actually man, true. Oh man, we just got shamed. Right. Mary's husband is a former professional a, football player. And he's a former gopher as and well. Is he so, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, so wow. he lived in, there is, he actually, we just found out he got kicked out of the dorms <laughs> for spreading beaver fat on the walls. Bef- this is before he got saved. Real beaver fat? Yes. Where did he buy you, beaver fat? I know. Fat? Where do you get beaver And of course my daughter, who is like the sports girl, she was like, that's awesome. I want to go to Minnesota and I'm like what? Also I mean pork fat would have been easier to find maybe right, like right. beef fat. And what's the point of that? Does it smell bad? Does it make the walls slippery? Are people know. walking into walls a lot in the football dorms because they're big guys? He got kicked out and the funny thing is when we went we went Amaya went to a camp this summer so in you know at Minnesota uh, or the University of Minnesota and she went to the dorm and she's like oh my gosh I wonder if his picture is there and I'm like maybe we need to have a, a session with him because this is we, we should we, we should do like you know uh, mental health and beaver fat <laughs> you know in Minnesota it anyway. would probably be a one of a kind original podcast yeah I won't lie I won't lie we'll bring you in and then we you will can, we I'd will. love to oh my goodness so all right anyway. well let's talk about like why is Brian really here and Brian you have a podcast of your own coming out which we're really excited about we've gotten a chance to yes. kind of preview a little bit it's called the grandfather effect mm-hmm. and right. yeah what what is this podcast about and what does it have to do with mental health so I didn't mean for it to be what it is. Uh, originally, I, I do morning radio, so and I love podcasts. Mm-hmm. And I'd listen to various interview podcasts, love those. But my very favorite storytelling podcasts. And I didn't know that, I didn't see at the time that any Christians were doing storytelling. Mm-hmm. Because it's a little more complicated to do. Uh, and I think generally we lean on salvation stories, which are great. Sure. But I think there's also other stories Christians can tell. So I had this mission where I was like, I, I want to figure out how to make a storytelling podcast where the gospel isn't the center of the story arc, mm-hmm. but Christian life might be. Sure. Yeah. And it was going to be just an experiment, try to figure things out. I thought, well, since I'm doing this, I might as well come up with something in my life that might be worth telling. And why not think of something that's a little, you know, out of the ordinary or maybe mysterious? And so I remembered that growing up, I had no relationship with my paternal grandfather. Mm-hmm. Uh, my only memory of him was at his wake when I was like 13. And it was the first time I, I have any memory seeing him really mm-hmm. uh, was in his casket. And it didn't make any sense to me. I was like, weird, because he lived only about 15 miles away, but we had no relationship. And all I knew was that he had disowned my family over just something so trivial. It was like, really? That's how it fell apart? But it's nothing we ever talked about. Yeah. So I thought, well, that could be good could figure out why he disowned us. Hmm. And it turned into a, I thought it'd be a few months of, you know, interviewing family and asking questions. I'd find out the guy was just a first rate jerk. And, uh, and then we'd move on with our lives. Okay. And I would just kind of show my colleagues, here's how you do a storytelling podcast. Here's what this one could be. Uh, but it took so many twists and turns. It took over five years to make it. I did a lot of it on my own, uh, most of it on my own and was teaching myself how to do some of this storyboarding and such, uh, and just kind of figured out a lot about mental health in the journey mm. where, I mean, disownment, correct me if I'm wrong, has to come out of some measure of a mental health issue. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, how often do you encounter, I mean, disownment's pretty extreme, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're in your practice, mm-hmm. are you encountering a lot of people going through disownment? Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, 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 
in all actuality, when our producers were first telling us about your story and about what this podcast is about, this is a part of my journey as is well. It? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When my mom, one of the things I've talked about on the podcast we've shared, my mom um, tragically took her life uh, about 13 years ago. And when she did, her mom, my grandmother, disowned our family. Mm-hmm. And now it certainly wasn't a trivial situation, but you speak to that exact experience of recognizing that there's a lot of mental health challenges in my mom's family of origin. Mm. And no doubt in my mind that has played into it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And could could you point, so you, you could point to a specific incident in your story or was it just a series of things that you can, that's kind of a pile? You know, it's always hard. We talk about this, like I talk about this with my clients. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you do too, Mary, is mm-hmm. that um, after the fact, there's this thing called, um, oh gosh, I'm going to forget. There's a social psychology concept, but it's basically like when you experience or or you look back on something and are you looking back on it in terms of how you actually experienced it in the moment back then, or are you using the information and the knowledge you have now and kind of projecting that hindsight bias is what it's called. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's, it's hard to tell, but I honestly think that even though I know I have hindsight bias, I can look back and I can say, ah, Mm-hmm. I just have some more clarity now. And yes, there was this incident and this experience and, and some of these repetitive patterns of behavior that tell me there are some there are some significant mental health issues that were going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was more surprised to discover that because I realized in the journey that I had a misconception about family systems. Mm. As part of the journey, I ended up interviewing a licensed uh, professional cl- clinical counselor used to teach at Moody, Nancy Kane. Yeah, you know Nancy. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, she used to teach in your department, but I think before you were here. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah she's a, a friend, and she helped me kind of think through a few things along the journey. And she it introduced me to the idea of family systems, where I was under the impression just from life that there were healthy families and dysfunctional families. Mm, okay. Now, I'm not the psychologist. You can correct me on this, but in hindsight now, after going through this journey of figuring out what happened with my grandfather, I'm just convinced we're all on absolutely. a continuum of dysfunction. Absolutely. Yep. yep. Absolutely. 100%. So that's accurate. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> I, I had this perception where my family is doing fine. Yeah. Like, we're, we're good. Mm-hmm. We're happy. We don't really argue. My parents didn't argue. Uh, not, not that I saw, at least. Mm-hmm. And so we're good. Mm-hmm. Now, my wife's family uh, was a little bit more open about their disagreement. They mm-hmm. would argue and get heated. And I always was like, wow, that's dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. We're healthy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what I discovered was, and you can help me with the, with the nomenclature of it, but am I right? There's three types of family systems, right? There's maybe like a healthy family system, one that, and I don't know the right name for it. And then the one I experienced, which was the family that doesn't talk about anything that matters and everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they Sleep talk about you when you're gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 Right. Yeah. So like when you, when you leave the relative's house, you know, oh, bye. Good to see you. And then can you believe what Aunt Stanley was wearing? Right. <laughs> right. Know? Right. And she's always late, mm-hmm. but no one will and, ever tell her. And, and the thing about it is I would argue, not knowing the, the background of your wife's family system, I would argue um, in a sense, the, uh, there is health in having those arguments up right. front. Right. Right. And I think there's a social piece to that. And, and there's a familiar uh, familial culture in terms of what's healthy and what's not healthy. And then we internalize that and then we project that into the world and say, OK, well, this is healthy and this is not healthy. Exactly. Right? Yep. yep. Well, and then, of course, uh, the uh, another kind of dysfunction I've learned about from Nancy was 
the family that's in each other's face, but not about anything that matters. Mm. So why were you, you were late and you didn't bring the potatoes? You were supposed to bring the potatoes, but no one's ever going to say you hurt my feelings. It wasn't about the potatoes. Yeah, it wasn't about it right. <laughs> right. And so making this discovery myself and realizing yes, there's a continuum. I didn't realize how far on it my family was. Mm. And so, uh, you know, throughout this five-year journey, I end up, you know, I ended up going to counseling mm. uh, because I started to figure out, we've, I've got issues here, started to see myself in some of the dysfunction. Um, and then we went into marriage counseling uh, to just try to, because, you know, when, when you're married to somebody and you, th- you both think that her family is the dysfunctional one and yours the healthy one, mm-hmm. that's not good. Right. <laughs> yeah. That creates right. a lot that, of problems. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so we had a lot to work through mm-hmm. uh, on that. And it's been really a healthy journey for us, but um, really, I guess a heartbreaking one too, mm-hmm. because and mm-hmm. growing up in a family that doesn't deal, doesn't talk about hard things and is willing to have a disownment happen that's kind of mysterious and no one talks about it, mm-hmm. uh, I discovered I really don't even know what emotions are. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I thought that... Um, I, I thought that being analytical was emotional. Mm. So I, I recall sitting with my counselor talking about my family of origin and um, she goes, well, how do you feel about that, Brian? You guys say that a lot, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, we yeah. do. <laughs> That's like our, our go-to phrase. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Tell, tell me how you feel How do you that? feel about that? <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, earlier I was thinking this and she goes, whoa, whoa, stop, stop, stop. I didn't ask you what you thought. Mm. I asked you how you feel. Yeah. And she said, how do you feel? And I remember I sat there and it felt like an eternity, but it was probably like two or three minutes in silence. Mm-hmm. She'd given me a feelings chart. I was just going to mm-hmm. say, did that you pull out the feelings wheel? <laughs> and I stared at the feelings chart mm-hmm. in silence. And of course, being a good counselor, she just waited mm-hmm. sure. for yeah. <laughs> me to feel awkward. And then, of course, a few minutes later, I came out with sad. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't even pick a good one. I mean, so- <laughs> There's I mean, more, it's one of the top, top four, right? It's one of the, it's a well, big right, one, but there's yeah. so many more yeah. like deeper ones that are more, you know, more articulative. Mel- so really I'm feeling. feel melancholic. <laughs> yeah. But see, that's your rationalization or oh, intellectualization yeah. that kicked in, where it's just like, if I'm gonna pick a feeling, it's gonna sound good, right? <laughs> right. We should have warned you like, we're probably syllable. gonna psychoanalyze you during. Well, this I figured podcast. it would happen. <laughs> And see, the, to, to think that I've now, so, you know, a lot of Christians would like to tell a story of, well, I had this problem, I discovered it, I fixed it, now I'm better. Mm-hmm. And that's not the story I have. I'm mm-hmm. still on a, in a process. Absolutely. It's not the story they have either. No. Well, they're just lying about it. Right. Absolutely. And I've been frustrated over the years at the way Christians tell stories, too, because mm-hmm. we so dishonestly tell them. Mm-hmm. It's talk, not just that the, yeah. the gospel is the story arc we tell, mm-hmm. but it's the, the theologically inaccurate and shallow uh, there's, I won't say the name of the movie, but there's a, one of the first like modern Christian movies. Yeah. Football team's losing. Wife can't get pregnant. Truck is broken. Mm-hmm. End of the movie, after everyone's saved, football team is winning. Wife is pregnant. Right. New truck. Right. <laughs> right. Classic, classic right. American Christian dream. Right. right. And it, it's so far from real life experience yeah. that I questioned for a while whether a story that wasn't like that would be even interesting to listen to. Mm. But Lord willing, the team I'm working with at Moody, uh, we've been, our, our presumption is that if, if somebody can hear about a family who, I mean, we're not like jailed dysfunctional, we're not sure. committing crimes, sure. but we're, we're probably the average measure of dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And we had a, a tragedy in our family of a disownment and it's messy. Mm-hmm. And I discovered a lot of twists and turns along the way that, added layers to a tragedy and and 
I was started answering questions I never thought I'd ask and never knew I should ask. What questions were they? What type of questions? Um, I thought it was all going to be about disownment. Like, in fact, yeah, we had sure. we'd labeled the series for years. We called it Disowned okay. was the title. Okay. And it wasn't until the team at Moody came together and uh, Emma in particular, she was like, you know, this is not about disownment. Mm. As she listened back to the whole thing. I was like, what? And she said, no, no, this is a, it's, it's way more complicated than that. This is family complexity. Mm. This is generational sin. This is mm-hmm. uh, because if you have a disownment happen, the disownment's going to affect the next generation and that will affect the next generation. Yeah. And so I, I can't give all the details out, but what I discovered was it wasn't just grandpa that had some issues to mm. confront. There was the next generation from my dad had some issues to confront that they didn't even know existed. Mm-hmm. And then I think at the end of the day that my generation as well would be impacted by it. Sure. But people don't like talking about generational sin, right? Yeah. Because, you know, I'm not going to go to hell because of my grandfather's sin, but his sin impacts me. Yeah. I mean, so how, how do you process through generational sin, clinically speaking? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I bet people come to you with that all the time. Mm-hmm. They feel guilty yeah. about something their parents did. Or... Yeah. Well, and it's so, I mean, you, I'm reading through Genesis right now. And what's coming to mind is, you know, you have Abraham and Sarah yep. and they go to Egypt and Abraham looks at his wife and he's like, dang, you're hot. Mm-hmm. And this right. is going to get me in trouble. Yeah, I love how we do right? <laughs> That's how we read the Bible. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so he lies and he says, my sister, right? And God mm-hmm. convicts Pharaoh's heart and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and enlightens him. And, and Pharaoh goes to Abraham, what are you doing? This, mm-hmm. this, this you know, you, why weren't you honest? And, and Abraham never takes responsibility, mm-hmm. right? That's what strikes me. I mean, he, he never says, I was wrong for doing this. Right. This is how my dad taught me to apologize, right? Um, forgive me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take ownership. But he he just he admits, yeah, she's my wife, but he gives justification. He's like, she I thought if if you knew she was my wife, you'd kill me and take her. Mm-hmm. And um and then what happens? A generation later. Mm-hmm. Isaac and Rebecca. Yep. And they go into the land and Isaac looks at his wife and is like, "Dang, she's hot." She's dope. Right, she's dope. <laughs> Tell like everybody that. you're my sister so right. they don't kill me cuz Because that works never, so well for dad. Right. right. Yeah. So well for dad. He never yeah. took responsibility. And so, you know, I I am we we talk a lot about how uh things that we navigate in our world now and and as we start to understand more about how mental health affects physical health mm-hmm. and um and so much more about like our holistic body, mm-hmm. technology is allowing us to better understand how God has designed us. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, like, we, we, we see the beauty of God's truth more and more. Mm-hmm. And so it, to me, it's like, why wouldn't we consider generational sin when it's clearly identified yes. in scripture as a problem? Um, but going back to your question, you know, I work a lot with couples. I love working with couples. It's one of my favorite things. And when we talk about conflict... We talk there. I have eight kind of eight points of how to deal with conflict, conflict. well, mm-hmm. because the goal is never to get to a point where we never have conflict. I would right. be a terrible therapist if that was the goal I had for my couples or for any right. of my clients. Well, right. and if I can quick interject, yeah, so much Christian, so much Christian writing about marriage is indicative of unhealthiness, as I've discovered. Mm. Yeah, like there's a lot of bad advice in the church. Yes. in terms of what marriage should look like, that yeah. you're not going to eliminate conflict. The goal is not to solve all of your conflicts. Yeah. I, I was recently in marriage counseling. We, we were reading John Gottman's book, The Seven... Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Seven Habits Seven, of a Healthy Marriage. There you go. Yep. And the idea that conflict would be unresolved throughout a marriage was just like mind-blowing. Yeah. We were like, wait, we don't Absolutely. have to fix all these? Yeah. No. 
Yeah. And really quick, really yeah. quick. Sorry. So, Dude, no, 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 we're no, good. no. So even with so I, that that brings something to mind because I even going with that, I tell my students this. My um uh when when I was pregnant with my daughter, Craig and I were talking about conflict and what that looks like. And I remember our pastor at the time said, you know, similar to what you said, you know, my my parent, we never argue in front of our kids. We we never want to argue in front of our kids. They never see us argue. They always see us on one accord, right? And I took that same, and this is how these generational things, right? It's modeling. Sometimes yeah. at a young age, you don't have the cognitive processes to say, wait, that's right or wrong. You just kind of take it in, depending yeah. on who it is. So then when I got engaged and then I got married to Craig and I got pregnant, I told him the same thing. I said, <laughs> OK, we're going to do that. We're going to be on one accord. We're never going to argue in front of Maya. And he asked me one thing. He said, well, how will then how then will she learn how to resolve conflict? Oh, he got you there, didn't right? he? Right. <laughs> but the whole thing about it is, is that I was taught the same way in the church yeah. where oftentimes we don't want to talk about the messy, the ugly. No. Because it 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 doesn't it, it doesn't sound holy. It doesn't sound like it should sound. But the thing about it is, the reality is that we are going to have conflict. For example, we're going to have this mess. Yeah. And who, th- why do we need Christ if we got it all figured out? And we got it right. You know what I mean? We Preach all got to figure it, it out. <laughs> because there are times that I'm beefing with Craig. And she, he's beefing with me. And I'm like, man, look, okay, we're going to have to agree to disagree then. So, Amaya, sometimes you got to agree to disagree. You know? <laughs> right? How do you, you know? navigate it without Christ? Yeah. It's like, God, give me the strength to deal with this Yeah, but you have to. Stupidity. The stupidity, right? <laughs> but the thing about it is you have to, to it's in, in Amaya learning in the, the generational part, she has to learn that there is going to be mess. Yeah. Yeah. And there's going to be mess that sometimes you just can't solve. And that's how that generational piece that we have to understand and that what you're it sounds like what you're saying is that sometimes we try to make this story so beautiful and nice and tidy and actually a relationship with God and understanding who we are in relation to our families. It's messy. Well, yeah, and, and when you're unwilling to get messy right? and you're unwilling to do the hard thing and have a conversation with someone who's hurt you or broken mm-hmm. a relationship with you, mm-hmm. uh, tragedy ensues. Absolutely. It's so like trauma ensues. Yes. Absolutely. Generational trauma too. Generational right. Trauma? Yeah. Right. And and then I, I even as it goes deeper, I had to start asking questions like, is is disownment even a question of a decision or someone isn't capable of dealing with issues? Mm, you know talk, what I mean? talk, talk talk about that a little bit. So disownment to me felt like in the movies. Like it's one of those where it's like, if you don't do this, I disown you. Mm, got it. And there are those stories out there. Sure. Yeah. I have a good friend who came to Christ and his dad was like, listen, if if you continue in this path, I will not be your dad anymore. I'll disown you. Yeah. That's dramatic. Yeah. It's like, Absolutely. It's, but my experience, that was not the case. So when you have a relationship breakdown and your family system is one, which everything is okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it that the person that that it's broken because someone decided to break it or broken because they don't know how to fix it. Mm. Is that, does that yeah. make any sense? Yes, absolutely. absolutely. And then the more I dig into family history beyond that, you can start to uncover like patterns of, of how mm-hmm. this is not necessarily the perpetrator's fault either, mm-hmm. as in what was the system they were raised in yep. that would render them not capable Absolutely. Yeah. They didn't have the tools. It's, they didn't have the tools. No, it, it's like that have. saying that hurt people hurt people. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Well, and, and so going back to what I was saying earlier, this is a question usually in the first or second session I ask my couples and they, they're, they're like, what? We're going here. I'll say, how was conflict dealt with in your family of origin? Mm-hmm. 
And they'll look at me like, well, what does that have to do with any? Because the, there's patterns here. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And you're going to pick up on the patterns that you experienced Absolutely. in your childhood of origin. And yes. you're going to bring those in here because how many of us actually stop to have the conversation outside of working with a mental health professional? Mm-hmm. How are we going to deal with conflict in mm-hmm. our relationship? What are the healthy ways and what are the unhealthy yes. ways? We the don't way have we that modeled it, the way we, yeah. And we talked about this in the last, um, a little bit in the last podcast. You mentioned it in terms of Bandura, right? So Bandura is a theorist and it's he, his theory is from modeling, right? It's about modeling. Our behavior is predicated on modeling, whether you are intentionally trying to model it or it's just observational modeling. And so if your family is in conflict and you're a child, it doesn't matter whether you're paying attention to it and intentionally thinking, oh, this is how I learn how to resolve conflict. You're still going to pick up pick up on how conflict is resolved or not resolved. You're exactly. going to pick. So when you get married, my dad yelled, my, his, my, my, my grandpa yelled, my mom yelled. This is how this is what we do. Right. And so that's what Bandura says is that it's it, regardless if it's intentional or not, the way that we actually learn is through modeling and not just modeling. It's the consequences of the modeling. So say that you're, uh, you know, you learned, uh, you watched your parents fight and then your dad got what he want all the time or your mom got what he wa- or she wanted all the time. To you, that's saying, OK, I'm looking at the costs and I'm looking at the rewards of what happened between these two. And you're going to internalize that and either um, uh, reinforce that in your marriage or your your relationships or do the complete opposite. But it's still through modeling. Right. Right. So if you're not if you're not like you said, if you don't go to a therapist and you intervene and unpack those things, you're just going to do what you saw your parents do in the previous generations. Right. Yeah, yeah because normal is relative. Right? Absolutely. And and, you know, if I had a chance to to go back, I wish somebody would have told my wife and I that you have to both. Uh, take take your experience, your family experience, mm-hmm. and decide neither is normal. Mm. Right. Because what what is normal? It's all relative. Right? Exactly. And see, yeah. I, as a guy who used to teach so- social studies, I knew this. Right. But it's hard to... to, to yeah, right? like, like cultural norms sure. are relative, sure. right? And so why wouldn't relational norms be rel- mm-hmm. relative? But I didn't take the proper time to consider that, I suppose. Um, but the, I, the, the other layer to bring you to, of course, is the... When you're in a family system where everything's fine and no one deals with anything, I don't know that anyone takes the time to feel emotion either. Mm, Talk about that. And this is where I – it kind of wreaked some good havoc in my immediate family, my wife and I, my kids. I have five kids. And yeah, <laughs> I need it. Mary has one at zero. That's how yeah. much we can handle. Well, right. If you want to practice, you can take at least three of mine. So the. I was conditioned with the idea that, okay, so let's say you have a negative feeling. Mm-hmm. The job is to, is to change that. Mm-hmm. Give your, you know, oh, you're sad. Don't be sad. Mm-hmm. Here's all the things to be happy about. Yeah. Oh, you're, uh, you know, oh, you're scared. Don't be scared. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to be scared about. And in counseling, you know, radical idea. It just sounds so silly that I didn't know this, but mm-hmm. if you have a feeling, you should feel it, allow yourself to feel it, give mm-hmm. yourself time to process it mm-hmm. because you're either going to implode or explode, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. If you don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that changed my entire approach to parenting in my family yeah. in that my wife and I were suddenly like, whoa, okay, we're not going to go, oh, don't cry. Mm. We're right. going to say, oh, wow, that, that hurts. I understand. That's, tell me more about that. Yeah. It's okay to be sad. Yeah. But that was new verbiage in our family, yeah. which then, of course, resulted in three of my kids have been in counseling now, which is mm. good. Which is I good. don't see it as a negative. Absolutely, yeah. But it's, um, like I said, you know, going on a journey to figure out 
a, a simple answer to why my grandfather disowned us. At the end, it, I answered questions and I never asked, and I ended up with most of my family in counseling. Mm. And I see that as a good thing. Absolutely. One of the hardest things I've been through, I'm still processing through it, still learning, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't change it mm-hmm. because, uh, because I think the growth that's really happening isn't just the emotional one. It's when you have lack of emotional connection to others. Mm-hmm you have lack of emotional connection to Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think That's it's right. very difficult to gain intimacy with Jesus if you're unable to do so in, in this world, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so that's helped me to really understand my brokenness a little bit more mm-hmm. clearly, help me embrace the gospel a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Because when you think your family's healthy, you also are obviously dealing with some significant pride issues. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and then, of course, because you're healthy too. Mm-hmm. So breaking me of that pride, I think, enabled me to... Um, at the end of the day, get closer to Christ. And that's such a gift, I believe, for your kids. Yeah. Lord willing. That's yeah. such a gift. It's not, it's not, you know, in it in itself, it's, you know, yes, we are unpack. You guys are doing a lot of unpacking. My, our family, we, we've all been in counseling, but you're doing a ton of unpacking, but your kids are watching you address your brokenness, even when it's painful. That's a huge lesson for them. You're yeah. breaking, when we talk about those generational curses, mm-hmm. You're breaking those. You're modeling like you were talking about. Yeah, you're Part, modeling. Probably hardest on me, though, because I was the, my, my wife at least had emotion displayed in front of her. And so mm-hmm. now it's like me seeing kids, you know, freak out in front of their parents mm-hmm. or it's like, you don't do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I've had to condition myself to know this is okay. It's okay. But it's, well, I think it's hardest on me mm-hmm. to make that transition. I'm yeah. curious because I'm just thinking about, you know, our listeners right now, and I can imagine some of them resonating in terms of either seeing their own generational patterns now or perhaps a spouse's generational patterns and how that's impacting the relationship and maybe wondering, okay, I recognize some of the things now that I'm bringing to the table, but my spouse or my my child or my parent or, or whatever, they're not willing to recognize that. And so I'm curious from just your your standpoint, what for you got you to that point of saying, hey, this is something that A, I'm I'm willing to recognize that I have mm. picked up from my own family of origin and B, I need to work on it for the sake of my family. That's a good question. Watching the the depth of the generational brokenness mm. uh, in, in this story, in the grandfather effect, yeah. uh, made me say, I can't do this to my kids. Mm-hmm. I can't, I, because it's so heartbreaking for me to watch it happen. And there's layers I can't say here, but the podcast reveals it's so sad. Uh, and I think what also did it for me is a realization that you can have wonderful parents who did their best sure. and still say that there was dysfunction. Absolutely. I thought that it was you had great parents or terrible parents, right. you were healthy or dysfunctional, and that there's a messy middle. There's where I can tell you, I love my parents. They did the very best they could. They were wonderful parents. Sure. Um, and I, I couldn't say a bad thing about them. I could say wonderful things about them. Mm-hmm. And I can still say we lived in dysfunction in some measure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. And now that I know you can do that, that's, it's freeing mm. uh, and simultaneously heartbreaking because yeah. I'm, not, I'm not responsible for how my extended family now deals with those things, whether they make right. those changes. Right. But I can at least sit in it myself mm. because I, I don't, the, the, the generational thing is I don't want to repeat it. I'm, con, I'm convinced I can't repeat this mm. or I don't want to at least. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so I, I, I think that answers your question, but Absolutely. that was, that was probably the catalyst for that. Yeah. Well, and, and that's ultimately, I think 
how you approach like breaking those generational sins and to true forgiveness is mm. to say, okay, there comes a point in our lives and all of our lives where we become adults and we are now solely responsible for our actions. And so right. to say, even though some of this stems from, or maybe even a lot of this stems from things that I had no control over, or I didn't understand, or I didn't even see now as an adult, I need to take responsibility and I need to say, this is what I have ownership over. Will mm. you forgive me for these ways in which I've continued to carry on these patterns yeah. and I am committed to changing so that yeah. we begin to break these patterns for future generations? Well, and simultaneously for me, though, it's also the stark realization that my grandchildren could quite easily do a podcast series about my flaws and failures. Mm. That was the, the, the wow moment for yeah. me. Be, because if you truly believe the gospel... The journey towards mental health is not one of perfection and holiness. That's right. It's one of, I guess, better seeing your brokenness mm-hmm. yeah. and working through it, right? So mm-hmm. I have blind spots. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think each generation tries to do better than the last. Sure. And yet, I, that, that's the other thing, is the, the story that the grandfather effect shares is one where the relational problem happened at an age where my grandfather's older than I am right now. So I'm mm-hmm. not even at the phase of life mm-hmm where he was when things fell apart. Mm. And so I'm like, I still have big problems I'm going to inflict on my children mm-hmm. and my grandchildren that will affect them. And that's humbling. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I'll do my best. I love sure. the Lord as much as I can. I'll probably do better than the previous generation, yeah. but buckle up for the grandfather effect, like generation two or something <laughs> where it's the expose of madness. <laughs> Well, I always tell Amaya, I say, you know what? I'm probably going to mess you up, but I have a lot of colleagues I can refer you to. (laughs) Oh, oh, yeah. Here's a list of referrals. (laughs) We all buy like life insurance and such. We should almost just invest in counseling for our kids. If there's some some sort of policy where you just pay for their counseling in advance. (laughs) In advance, right. For the stuff you did. Right. Yeah. It's like you can now like save up for their college. You could, like, there's certain tax credits and tax breaks. They need to have like the future therapy fund. Yeah, what what are those those college funds called? I forget what they're yeah. called, but we need one for counseling for kids. Absolutely. Yeah. So so we have the, there's this um, theory called Gestalt therapy, and it's all about kind of holistic bring bringing the various parts together in the whole. And so there's a technique in Gestalt called the empty chair technique. Oh no! Are you I told me do you this we're, right we were going to psychoanalyze oh, you, right? So yeah. so I'm just curious if if we had an empty chair, which we do right here. I'm yeah. pointing at it. Um, if your grandfather was sitting in that chair. What, what would you want to say to him, though? You know, I had somebody ask me that just yesterday for the first time, and you'd think I would have considered that question throughout mm. this whole process. Mm-mm. But I didn't even have to confront it until yesterday, which is very weird. Doesn't that sound weird to you? No. No. Sounds human. But that's also but, a very a therapist response, too. We, right. wouldn't, we wouldn't say. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that's not weird. Nothing you say is weird. I'm your, I'm it your counselor. It does human, Mary. That is so it true. Human. It's human. It's human. But yeah. it's also in the midst of all I've shared with you about what I've learned, you would think that would have been something I would have already done. But, okay, so if I were to do this right here on this podcast, I think I would probably go two different directions. I would want to look him in the eye if he would look me in the eye for it. I don't know if he would have been capable. Mm. Uh, but I would tell him how much he, whether intentionally or not, damaged his, his, his kids mm-hmm. and therefore his grandkids. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would ask him, why in the world did you let this happen? Mm-hmm. You know, why did you live 15 miles from your grandsons and you didn't ever, like, talk to them? Why, mm-hmm. why did you let your grandson, Brian, meet you in a, in a casket? 
Mm. What sense does that make? But then I would also, um, I'm working on getting to the place where I would also be able to look at him and say, uh, but I understand you're carrying a lot of pain, whether you want to admit it or not. Uh, and I have a lot of pain too. And I want you to know that I'm working on forgiving you. And I'm, I'm pretty close to being able to say, I forgive you and I love you. Mm-hmm. But it's weird to forgive and love someone who you never knew and is dead. Mm. But I think it's an important thing I've had to try to figure out. Yeah. So here I am now, like moving away from my grandfather. See that? I just drifted away from him talking to you. Mm-hmm. Uh there wasn't much feeling in that, though, was there? Now that I'm psychoanalyzing well, well, I don't myself, want, I don't want you to do that. I'm, I'm curious too. So this is kind of this is the two chair method. Say, oh, and, no. and, and I know that you you don't. It sounds like you don't. You know, you don't know your grandfather that well, and everything no. is being uncovered now. What would you anticipate your grandfather saying to you to what you just said? How would he answer you? The question is, do I know enough about it, about the man to give you an accurate answer on that? Yeah, just take a guess. What would you think that he his his responses could be, just based on? Don't overthink it. Just based on what you know or what I, you think. I, I think he would just go, "Oh, sorry." Mm-hmm. What would you want him to say? I would want him to be able to say, "Oh goodness, I'm so sorry, grandson. Mm-hmm. I made a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. Will you forgive me?" But again, here we are again at the the convergence of willing and able. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I have had to work on getting okay with the fact that he may not have even been able to do that. It, yeah. w- were he alive today, would he be able to say, oh, goodness, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. I love you, grandson. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think so. And I have to figure out how to be okay with that. Yeah. Is that too harsh? No. no. Because I, I think some people aren't capable of saying yeah. I love you. They're, they're not. And I'm sure, you know, that. It, and one thing that I, I observe in my own life that we tend to want something out of people that, that they're just not capable of giving it to us, right? Yeah. And that is that that oftentimes are that's that that's people that we are close to right we don't want it necessarily a stranger if they 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 bump into us on on you know the train we don't we don't dwell on that for 10 years right it's usually our parents it's usually loved ones people are caregivers right but what i learned especially in my life that oftentimes when i can't forgive someone or i want forgiveness from someone that i know they just can't possibly give it to me is because it is oftentimes it's because I'm afraid to forgive myself for things. Mm. Right? So oftentimes it's because I need someone to tell me that I'm good enough. Mm-hmm. When in reality it may be because now and don't get me wrong because yes, we want our caregivers and our loved ones to tell us how much we they care about us and that's part of growing up and and having a sense of um uh, uh sense of worth, self-worth. But what I do realize is that oftentimes I'm looking outward and externally for, you know, the rest of for long periods of time when I really need to look within and wonder why I do not have a sense of worth. Right. And it doesn't have to come from this external thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, and you're, you're telling my story. I mean, mm. the, the podcast talks just briefly about my maternal grandfather as well. Mm. Uh, but, you know, I, I wasn't certainly provided the idea of someone saying you matter and I want to be around yeah. you. Right. Yeah. And you'd think, well, as long as your parents do, you'll be good. Not and they were, they were there for me sure. whenever I needed them and still yeah. are today. Yeah. Uh, but the idea that your grandfather knows you exist, but doesn't seem to care mm. does affect your self-worth in Absolutely. some way. Absolutely, No yeah. matter how many times your parents said it to you. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. It does affect your self-worth yes. in some way. And that's an ongoing battle for me is mm-hmm. one of 
what's the balance between knowledge of sin and self-hatred? Mm. It's probably a whole other podcast, but mm. I'm in the midst of all this, I'm still trying to figure that out. You know, there's a measure at which I have to know that I need a savior mm-hmm. in thought, word, and deed every day. Mm. But I don't want to get to the point where I'm too often telling myself, you're no good. Mm. You know, and, you know why, why would he want to have, had, what good would it have done his life, you know, yeah. if he knew you? Mm. So, I don't know. Get counseling. Get, get, get <laughs> moral of the story. Get, get counseling. counseling. I'm excited well. for this podcast. Me, my, me too. I am. And I thank you so much because I can't even feel in the studio here your, your, your journey. I could just mm-hmm. feel it. I thought I'd be and done with one at the end of it. No. I'm not done. Well, when Jesus comes, that's when you'll be done. <laughs> Aren't you supposed to say when we complete this session or in six no. more sessions? That's how we keep clients, right? When Jesus comes, that's when yeah. you'll be done. <laughs> We're running a business here. Right. Yeah. We're going to pay the bills. Wow. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, and, and. You know, you mentioned the emotional piece and am I being too rational my emotion? And I think God created us to have mystery. Mm-hmm. And sometimes our emotions are a mystery. And I think we're feeling it in here. There, There is a level of emotion in the room. So thank you for just being yes. vulnerable and sharing your story. And yes. and check out Brian's podcast, The Grandfather Effect. Yes. We are going to be listening and um, just really excited to to hear more about this journey. And thanks for yeah. just... And I, yeah. I hope we can bring you back. Just to, I would love yeah, to do because that. Because this is a journey. So we would yes. love to kind of get updates. A well, whole other session. And, mm-hmm. and now you've... Well, I was going to say, you, you can use the podcast series with your clients to go, see, you're not so bad. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> listen to this Just guy. listen to Brian. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yes. Yeah, thank you. You can check out uh, Brian's podcast, The Grandfather Effect, wherever you listen to podcasts. And also remember to check out Becoming Well. You can hit us up on our website, becomingwellpodcast.org. We're on all social media channels. And give us a like, give us some feedback. If you have questions or thoughts about this conversation with Brian today, we'd love to hear from you. And as always, we love those five-star reviews. So yes. thanks for joining us. Be well. Be well.